Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Say Who's Say Pod. He's Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. Here it comes. Pod. 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 I feel like in a hundred years, when all of the humans are dead, and people, you know, there's there's just little bits and pieces of audio and video and content kind of floating around in the universe. Someone's someone's going to come across that. Some Husky fan's going to come across that and be like, "What's what's this version? I've never what heard the, this before. What the hell? Who's that? Yeah. What's the pod? What is Dude, that? What do you think is more likely to last longest? The say who say who say say what chant, or our recording modification of it?" <laughs> Well, there's more versions of of the actual chant out there uh, That's true. In, in the ether at this point. I've wondered, and it it probably it's probably safe now. It's probably past the point of of uh, risking extinction. But I, I have wondered if someone might come along and and nix the chant at some point because of the obscenity. But if it survived Tyrone Willingham, you know, <laughs> what is bad mamma jamas? Is that, that what he was, wanted? No, that was the. Uh, Legend has it, yes, that that was some the bad mamma jammas. How was your fourth? Uh, my fourth was okay. We walked over to the East River. Uh, we watched. Uh, they launched the fireworks from five different barges here. Uh, I am a I am a big fireworks enthusiast. Uh, I believe that if you set me loose, um, on with two hundred and fifty dollars at a place where you can buy all your own fireworks, I could at least destabilize a small Central American nation. Like not 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 topple it, but I, I could create I could create at least some concern there. Um, so yeah, no, I I I enjoyed the fourth. We ate in K Town, uh, had some Korean food. It was delicious. That sounds that sounds delightful. How I about yours? To, I used to be fireworks neutral, and you know oh, when yeah? I was a kid, I liked the Longview has a big celebration at the lake, and my grandparents lived right by the lake, so we could park at their house and walk over, which was an amazing advantage and. You set up your lawn chairs and watch it. And, you know, that was always a fun tradition. I've come to loathe fireworks uh, because my my dog just just can't oh, handle it. Yeah, just cannot handle it. And it's just it's just misery for him. We got to look into. I know some people recommend Benadryl, and have you know might have looked at some some CBD options. And so, what's the next big one? I guess it'd be New Year's. Yeah, to, yeah. He just that he, is tough. He, he can't he can't hide enough. You know, there's nowhere he can go to like get away from it mentally. So, yeah, and you know, they're supposed to be illegal in the city of Tacoma. Obviously, the uh, <laughs> the citizens don't necessarily abide by the law in that no. instance. So, no, they don't. I will say, I'll give some people credit; it didn't go too late. You know, it, it it quieted down significantly around around midnight or just after midnight. But yeah, every. Every fourth is just like anxiety approaching it. So I'm like, ah, my dog's just gonna lose it, you know? Yeah, that's how, how does your dog handle it? There's not a lot of rogue fireworks in New York City. Okay. And he's fairly aloof. Um, and the last dog we had was also aloof to fireworks. Uh one of the dogs we had before that really did not like him. And that that definitely stunk. Like it's it's hard to see your pet like really agitated in a way that you can't really soothe. Um, that's, that stinks. Yeah. I, I have some sympathy. It's been a long time since I've set off copious amounts of fireworks. Um, there's still a soft spot in my heart. Like I've, I've got some, I've got some redneck that you don't have to scratch too far before you hit. Are you a, Uh, are you a boom guy? Yeah. 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 You like, you like the M eighties. Um, yeah. I prefer, if you ask me my favorite firework activity it would be uh roman candle jousting where you start with bikes at opposite ends of the street and you are each uh light uh, a, a roman candle like launching like flare type type activity and you ride toward each other and see who's the last to turn i would say that that's my favorite <laughs> well, i was safe. safe about it though because i put on safety goggles <laughs> Uh, I'm, 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 uh, I'm excited for this, uh, this post 4th of July episode. We have a, another guest this week. My pal Dave Southern joined us. Dave, uh, covered Boise state for 
I want to say 14 years, I think he told us, uh, for the uh, the Press Tribune, for the Idaho Statesman, and then uh, The Athletic, uh, unfortunately, for only a year before he was laid off in the summer of 2020. But still lives in Boise, still very uh, tapped into things over there. Also a big Colorado football fan. He graduated from University of Colorado. So uh, he got some thoughts uh, on, on Deion Sanders, uh, gave us a little preview of what to expect at Husky Stadium on September 2nd. Um, Excited to share our conversation with Dave with you a little bit, a uh, little bit later. But I don't I'm know. excited. To, I'm excited to talk to you because you you talked to Jen Cohen last week. I did. Yeah, the uh, the one year anniversary of uh, USC and UCLA announcing their move to the Big Ten, which I don't think was intentional. But I, I believe her only public comments since then were at uh, the the press conference introducing uh, Leslie Gabriel as the, the new volleyball coach. And I don't think she's talked to anybody other than that. could be wrong about that, but. Is that, is that because she doesn't want to get out in front of things that the conference is doing with, with there being such uncertainty about the future? I think, um, it, yeah, it's in line with UW's institutional motto of, of just being extremely careful with, with their leaders talking to the media. Um, which can be a little bit frustrating in some ways. I think from the athletic director's position, it's tough because you're not the decision maker on those things. It's the it's the rare item that impacts your department, every single person in your department in some form or fashion, this, this media deal and the idea of realignment, yet you don't have a seat at the table. So I, I think any AD is going to be, has one, not all of the information filters to them. It's you know kind of up to each university president how much they want to involve their AD in the process, um, and so you're you're just you're not working with all of the most up to date data that the actual Pac-12 board member might be working with on your campus. Um, so I think there's some hesitancy to like speak in absolutes. There's hesitancy to speak in absolutes about the future, regardless. But you know certainly to to do so um, on topics where you don't you don't get the final decision. So. I think all of that in mind, the fact that she was finally willing to to do an interview and speak publicly and you know referred not not probably in the strongest terms, but seemed to suggest that there was confidence in a in a deal coming um I'd be really surprised if they made that decision, thinking that the most likely outcome was something other than a deal getting done, but you know. Until it's done, it's it's not done, and speculation rages on. But that was kind of probably my high-level takeaway from it. There was a spate of pretty high-profile layoffs at ESPN on Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I see the... <laughs> well, there's, there's several layers of unfortunate here. Like, A, watching media companies go through this this constriction is is sad for me because i don't think anyone is is helped uh by losing voices i i just i I, and i think the people who are served generally tend to be shareholders and bosses and people who are not concerned with any any of the input but when i see those i now think because there's been a couple of references from different university presidents about some of this timing is dependent upon the broadcast partners and when they want things announced. Um, so when I see something like that, I'm like, oh, maybe that is is sort of the news that they were waiting to get past before this agreement is announced. It is unbelievable how long this has been strung out. Yeah, it's um, it's been a year now. You know, because they they accelerated their their media rights negotiations. I think just a couple days after the or at least within that week after the USC UCLA news the Big Ten's deal gets done the Big 12 um, moves up their timeline and gets a deal done I mean, some people have pointed out you know the Big Ten just announced their deal in August last year um, so mm-hmm. they're they're still if if a deal does get announced in July they're still ahead of the timeline relative to when the deal starts um, compared to to when the Big Ten announced theirs so um, you know, if, if you want to defend the back 12, which I'm not necessarily inclined to do, uh, that, that would be one thing to keep in mind. And I don't know, I, I, there seems like 
as much as Arizona's president, Robert Robbins, has spoken to the media and he said things, <laughs> his comments um, could be taken by anti-Pac-12 people, which it's it's weird that those people exist, um, who just, like, want, for some reason want to see the conference blown up. Um, well, they... They they want to see the conference blown up because that would enhance their standing, right? Like, and it's primarily the Big Twelve, and I get it. It's like there's a squabble going on. If the Pac-12 were to fold, the Big Twelve would be better off. Yeah. Like, it becomes it becomes a Big Four, right? And the Big Twelve is going to be enhanced by that. I think it's stupid. I think it's fighting to be the king of Poop Island. But I I get the rationale. To yeah, it. it it strikes me as odd for any fans of any team in any one conference to like want to see some other conference die. I don't think that's, I don't think that's best for college sports, college football in particular. Um, it's true. Do you, do you blame the sec? Cause the sec was really kind of the first conference that was like, we take pride in, in the sec. Mm-hmm. Like they, like where they chant sec. I remember at the, at the, the peach bowl, the national that. semifinal game. They, they chanted SEC, but then there was also in the suite next to where I was watching the game from, uh, there was a dude there wearing like all Georgia stuff who was like celebrating Alabama, like when they got up and was like pointing at me and stuff. And I'm like, your team isn't even here, Jackwagon. Like, what are you doing? Like, why, why are you celebrating like this? But there is this sort of regional pride. Uh, I blame the SEC for the origin. You know, when of the it. chants, the SEC chants were the loudest in that game. It was when late, late in the game, when the dude and Jake injured. Browning threw kind of a meaningless interception on fourth and goal in the final minute, and I think Alabama committed two unsportsmanlike conduct yes. penalties or two late hit penalties on that play, and like John Ross and somebody else are laying on the turf, and the whole stadium's just chanting SEC, SEC, yep. and I was down on the sideline at that point. And I was just like, man, this is quite a scene, you know, like the yeah. first of all, just being around like the Alabama football machinery that whole week and how how enormous and passionate and rabid that fan base is. And then here, like in the end, you know, the the uh, the defeated, the defeated party laying on the ground, everyone's rooting against them. SEC's bouncing off the walls of the Georgia Dome. It was very like. Okay, yeah, this is Alabama, you know. This is this is what it looks like. Yeah, it wasn't the classiest way to punctuate a victory. Well, are are we concerned with that anymore? I I think when dudes get hurt, I think it's pretty poor form to chant when a dude's down hurt. Like I I I would be like there aren't there aren't many that I get bent out of shape at and I certainly wouldn't say like Alabama fans are any less classy than other rabid football fans. Like I think when you get that successful, like it happens like Seahawks fans cheer, like somebody threw popcorn at Navarro Bowman when he was getting carted off after this horrible knee injury, when the Seahawks were dominant, it happens. It's, it is, it is to be frowned upon. Like you should, you should be better than to do yeah, that. That's, I think that's, I think that's fair. Um, but I, I, Back to what I was saying about Robert Robbins, he he's he mm-hmm. said so much at this point that if if you want the Pac-12 to die, there are plenty of comments you can find that he's made where you're like, okay. that guy, oh, yeah, okay. he look look, he's saying they're looking around that they they need to see a deal, but he said other things where it's like, oh look, see he's he's the one. It's funny. Be, Why does he keep talking? Because he he can. He's 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 the one with the seat at the at the at the the table. He's he's on the board. Yeah, but shouldn't I mean they're. Arizona's not a junior. No, Arizona's kind of a. Are they a junior member of the conference? They've been in there a while. They're not the most significant. I think he should pipe down. I think some of the. I think. <laughs> I think a couple of the conference heavyweights should call him and tell him to shut his well, pie maybe hole. They have. In real, <laughs> still in, just like in realignment, you become significant when there's a thought that you're one of the teams that might leave. Oh, that's true. He's feeling his oats. Colorado and Arizona, baby. This is their time. (laughs) What basically then here's what I would ask. Anytime he's he talks to reporters, that reporter should ask him about the report of the scholarship offer to baby Gronk. (laughs) (laughs) 
they're the one school that's been identified as having offered Baby Gronk a scholarship. I want to hear someone from that school address yeah. that. George Klyovkov should get up at Media Day and say, yeah, the Pac-12 is actively exploring expansion options. We're looking at AAU membership, academic profile, and whether that school's football program has offered scholarship to Baby Gronk. Yeah, you offered yeah. a scholarship to Baby Gronk. You are not welcome in the Pac-12. <laughs> um, but he—he—it's he, he, funny because he's the one who you can point to. This president, this Pac-12 president, has said on the record, like, we need to see a deal. You know, we need, we need, we need to see yeah. numbers. But, but he's also been the one who's most adamant that there's no timeline and that he's fine being patient. And I, in I think John Canzano had a story recently where he he quoted another CEO group member as saying that they're they're not feeling any time crunch that this this idea that they need to get it done by media day or that they needed to get it done in April or that they needed to get it done a month before that or that they needed to get it done a couple of weeks after they issued the statement of unity or whatever like that that's all external and that internally they're just working away confident they'll get a deal done not feeling any time pressure. Do you buy that? See, I actually do buy that coming just from the presidents because I know that university presidents just don't think about these things the way that we do. <laughs> I think every athletic director is looking around going, oh my God, we got to get this done. Get this done. Keep the league together. Oh my, like, geez, it's July. It, we got a media it, day coming up. It, so in my opinion, it has to be done by media day. If the Pac-12 is going to hope to keep pace with the Big 12, like if like that's if it's not done by media day, like I'm I think that whatever ends up coming out of the announcement that when the next round of media rights comes up, the Pac-12 will clearly be behind the Big 12. That's my opinion. And this is I want to play something. This is Richard Johnson, and he's a reporter from Sports Illustrated. He's worked there since 2021. He is a co-host on Split Zone Duo, which is a podcast, and he's talking with Alex Kirshner here, who's also a co-host there. Um, Rich is someone I like his coverage of, of college football a lot. He's, he, he's saying that, hey, if they don't, if the Pac-12 doesn't have this done by media day, that, that it's a fiasco, and here's his explanation. Talking to more than just an AD or two in the league, I talked to some people in the league office. I know what they want to do, as far as a public relations strategy at Pac-12 Media Day, which and throughout the season, which is they think that hey, we've got really good quarterbacks that are coming back in our league. We're going to have really attractive offense. It's going to be uh, it's going to be something you're going to want to watch. They have a strategy, communications wise, to gas up the football in their league, which I think is a great idea. If you're mm -hmm. in the Pac-12 and you haven't been shit for the last few years in football depth was and you're trying to, to put a certain message all of that goes left if the only thing and i'm going to be in vegas most likely that week if the only thing we ask george kliavkov about for 25 minutes is about this television deal one trillion percent one trillion percent that is so that is so dead on the league is gonna be really good this year and and only one of its really good teams is leaving for the Big Ten after this season. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe UCLA surprises. They're they're better than you know people might think they're going to be. So maybe there'll be two contenders who leave. But if we agree that generally speaking, there are five teams that I don't think anybody would be like shocked to see win the conference this year: USC, Washington, Oregon, Oregon State, and and Utah, obviously. Um. All five of those teams are going to be in the top 25. And UCLA is a fringe mm -hmm. top 25 team, too. Um, so, yeah, they they have incredible depth. They do have a really impressive roster of quarterbacks. They have the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. They have a, I think, like consensus top three or four Heisman candidate in, in Michael Penix Jr. Bo Nix, if you're looking at preseason odds and who could get into that conversation, I mean, he was probably more of a Heisman contender for most of last year than, than Michael Penix Jr. was. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we'll see what DJ Uyunglele can do with Jonathan Smith at Oregon State, and he's he's a freshman. But Dante Moore, five star recruit, you know, quarterback at, at UCLA, and um, Cam Rising is is back at Utah. It, it's 
it's as quality of a football product as the conference has had preseason with which to promote itself in a really long time. And it would be a shame for all of those schools and all of those players if we show up to Vegas on July 21st and there's no deal done and George Klyovkov takes the stage to answer questions and every single question's about the media rights deal. Now, if they get a deal done, it's not like there's not going to be any media rights questions. There's going to be a lot to ask about anyway. But if it's overshadowing the whole event, I mean, that would that would be an absolute PR disaster. The once the deal is done, there no longer becomes the spec. There's not the degree of speculation about the conference's future. Right. Like it will be secured for the near future. And you can debate about what's going to happen down the road. If it's not done at media day, the very survival of the conference becomes the dominant story. And and it's going to create a momentum of, of its own. Like you can you can say all you want about how it logistically you don't have to have it done, and it's still a year out. It creates a momentum of its own, and the perception of what something is worth is a really important thing right now because they're are, they're negotiating about the, the how much money they're going to get. And, and here's what happens in Vegas that day if there is no deal done. It's not just the press conference now the commissioner who does interviews with every national reporter who's there is going to spend his time either on the record or off, maybe on background, trying to trying to spin this to, okay, yeah, it's not done, but hear me out. And you're going to have some details leaking out that way. You're going to have conference athletic directors who are on the ground in Vegas having off-record slash background conversations, maybe some talk on the record with a number of different reporters trying to spin it the way that, that they need it spun to serve their interests. And so you're going to get all these little piecemeal, leak out, leak out, anonymous quote here, anonymous quote there. I'm hearing this. My sense is this. And it's just going to be all like the same crap that we've been in. And this would be more legitimate than, than most of what you know we've, we've seen over the last year. But it, 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 that's what the takeaway for Media Day is going to be. And the Heisman Trophy winner is going to be there answering questions and doing interviews and a couple other potential Heisman contenders are going to be there answering questions and doing interviews. And that's all going to be very secondary and, and everyone's just going to be fixated on like, what's, you know, what's coming, you know, from the people on the ground, what's coming out of PAC 12 media day. If we go on a gauge of one to 10 with one being they're a long way from a deal. And I don't see that happening. And we're, we're watching the splinter. Then 10 being, I'm pretty sure they're going to announce a new media rights deal at the outset or in anticipation of Pac-12 Media Day. Given the conversation with Jen Cohen, would you say you're like at six or seven? Where you're closer to, there's going to be something this done? So, this is so funny because the chair of Wazoo's Board of Regents asked Kirk Schultz this literally exact question at their last oh, Regents really? meeting. But it was it yeah. was... 1 to 10 before June, by the end of June, and he said about a 7. <laughs> mm, it's July 5th. So. <laughs> I mean, I I got to I got to think, you know, they're they're aware of how it looks if they don't get it done by the 21st. <laughs> At least folks advising the presidents <laughs> might be <laughs> Maybe it's, you know, you just saw the Big 12 announced. They like they just finalized, you know, their long form TV contracts and mm -hmm. everything. So you can agree to a framework and get get term sheets signed and everything and get it announcement worthy. Maybe they're striving toward that. Um, I don't know, man. I hate to put a number on any confidence <laughs> level with with any timeline yeah. as many as, as they've blown. How about this? It's more likely than not that a deal will be done. Given that Jen Cohen talked, because if they weren't going to get it done, she'd probably keep her head it under. It feels like the general expectation is that it will get done. Yeah. Um, I put it this way. I've not heard a single thing to indicate that Washington expects to be in a conference other than the Pac-12 in 2024. But hell, it, yeah. would we hear, you know, a lot of a lot of times these things sneak up on you and come out of nowhere. But um, it it's the general vibe seems to be that they they think something will happen. Did did you tell Jen my plan or my hope to have Gonzaga in the conference and make them play? Football? I, you know what? We didn't get to that somehow. <laughs> did you see they're uh, they're installing LED lights in the stadium? I did see that. 
Does that mean we're not going to have any delays anymore? But then I was trying to think of when that delay was. It was a long time ago. That was last season. Yeah, it was Oregon State. Oh, you're right. You're right. It was last year. The the lights went out. So now they just flip on and off? I I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm not a... You know what? We should get an electrician on the show. (laughs) <laughs> no, we shouldn't break down. Break down. Because if we get the electrician, then I'm going to end up talking about the the hold up your cell phones during the 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 whatever third quarter song, whatever that thing is. <laughs> Remember that thing which I love. Oh, yeah, you know you well that that's still going to be a thing. You're going to have to get used to that. <laughs> yeah, um, I know. They're, they're they're yeah they're they're trying to they're not going to they're not going to give sounds up. Sounds like they one. plan to break ground on the new basketball facility in the spring. That's kind of that's been on the docket. It's been funded. They raised the the funds from private donors. Um, the pandemic sort of delayed the making it actually happen, but that's on the that's on the schedule. So many terrible thoughts going through my head right now. Is there another use you'd like to carve some of that money out for, perhaps related, related uh-huh. to uh, youth yep. men's basketball? Yes. Yep. Yep. Yes. Hey, how about Larry Brown? Huh. <laughs> So I'm intrigued by that. Um, Larry's a character, man. Like, and I don't know, like I, I make jokes about Chip Kelly kind of being weekend at Bernie's. I don't know how much Larry's got left to, to give, but like that dude has been shown. He can coach like flat out. You can't count on him staying your coach. So I was actually intrigued by that because it doesn't seem to me that Mike Hopkins has much of a clue about offense. And so if he just accepted that and decided to let Larry Brown coach, that would be a hell of an impact. Like there's Larry Brown is an unbelievable coach, regardless of the talent level you give him. Like he's really, really good. I just don't know if he's going to be awake. Yeah, um, I should say this is still only reportedly. Nothing's been announced by the by the school. Oh, oh yeah, you're not going to announce anything. Like Larry could change his mind. Like yeah, yeah, you're not going to announce anything. Added another transfer and just another another wave of of uh, of transfers. You gotta you know, kind of look up the stats and okay, we'll see where this guy fits. They're getting some guys who have played a lot of college basketball. Mm-hmm. Which they've got a thing to offer, which is a uh, playing time and opportunity, right? Like if you, they've got a great thing to sell right now, which is if you feel you haven't been showcased and you have the talent, like you've got an ability to crack and be one of our top three options on offense. There's not a lot of power five schools that have that, uh, that degree of, there's just not really an established pecking order. I don't think. Like, there's nobody that you would say, like, oh, you're, you're, you're just not going to get minutes here. You're not going to get shots here. Yeah. We don't, have a, we don't have a question from Ian this week. Holiday week. Holiday break for, for IP McFarlane. But, I, you know, I think our conversation with Dave Southern was worth the conversation. It's definitely worth a conversation. I really, like, Dave's got some great perspective on CU's rebirth, also why it's not a UC, and... <laughs> Washington's first opponent, which is Boise State. Here's Dave. Well, for the second week in a row on Say Who, Say Pod, we're very excited to have a guest joining us this week. It is my old pal Dave Southern, formerly of the Idaho Statesman and The Athletic. Um, Been around Boise State for a long time. Went to the University of Colorado. Very familiar with with the buffs and and all that's going on with Dion, but... uh, We'll we'll chat a little bit about the the Broncos first, Dave. How how, how you been, man? Oh, it's been awesome. Uh, I, I appreciate having me on, Christian. I always, you know, it was. Uh, I actually I actually grew up a University of Washington fan a little bit. I, I grew up in Carnation, Washington, and so um, I was always psyched when we got to work together at the Athletic because I had done read your stuff before, and and so um, I really appreciate you you guys having me on. Yeah, for sure. So for for the uninitiated. Um, there, there are two people on this podcast right now who have been laid off by the athletic. <laughs> exactly, uh, I'm, not, I'm not the only one. Dave, uh, <laughs> Dave got it in the summer of 2020 uh, when the the pandemic was the excuse back then, and uh, that was a real bummer, man. Because I like I've I've always looked at you as 
the authority on the the Boise State beat, and I know you're doing something a little different now, um, working for is it St. Luke's Health yes. System there? Yep, yep. Um, but still, still kind of have your toe in the game a little bit. I see you kicking in freelance stuff here and there, and I know you're still paying close attention. No, absolutely. Yeah, uh, been able to do some freelance work for the Statesman. I I still been writing stuff for the Boise State Alumni Magazine, and um, you know. Um, my parents are season ticket holders now. They just moved here, and uh, and and so I, I still I still keep in touch with a lot of the folks over there at BSU too. So, um, and I think it's been an interesting you know time now, kind of more so just being an outside observer, been able to pay pay attention still, but in, I think in a little bit of a different way too. So yeah, absolutely, still uh, on top of things at, at, at Boise State. Dave, Boise State comes up in conversation quite a bit as a potential well no i'll say it this way i want boise state to be in the pac-12 if the pac-12 is going to expand if they're going to try and replace it i know that's been a conversation for a long time as someone who's covered boise state would would boise would boise want to be included uh 100 they they definitely would i i think that that's been the goal for you know i mean gosh even before that first fiesta bowl i think that was the, the intent when they saw that the power of the football program that they had here was the Pac-12 was, was going to be the goal. What, who knows when that was going to be? If that was going to be 2030, sometime before that, I don't know. But um, I think that, that that's always been the goal, and I think they, they jump at the opportunity. I, you know, I mean, of course, there's been hindrances, whether it's academics, um, the size of the market, things like that. Um, but I don't think anybody can question how good the program's been at every single level of competition they've ever been in. They won a junior college national championship in 1958. They were very good in division two. They were only in there a couple of years. Then they won a one double a national championship in 1980. And then they haven't had a losing season here in, you know, 25 years. So no matter what level they've been, no matter what conference they've been able to step up. So I think that they're confident. And I, I would be, if they did make that move to a, you know, to a power five conference and, they jump at the opportunity. Just obviously the question is if that's ever going to come. Did you, I forget, were you covering them um, when there was the, the flirtation with the big East mm-hmm. and there was talk around the big yep. East? What, what was yep. kind of the, what was the temperature of the fan base for that move? Potentially how people <sighs> feel about that possibly going down. Yeah. You know, what's funny about that one, I guess in hindsight, like people would be more excited about the PAC 12, I think for obvious reasons, but um but I think that, you know, in hindsight, the Big East one, I think there was a little bit of trepidation. And, of course, obviously, it, there was reason for that. But was was kind of the – just kind of the alignment. You know, being in a, in a conference with Cincinnati and stuff like that, which, of course, now that would have sounded great if they, if they were on their same, you know, same path. But you just kind of – teams from so far away, I think there's no real connection. And I, I think people were just excited, like, well, I guess it's the next step in the growth. But I think that um, you really wouldn't have been able to engage the fan base that much to get excited about traveling that far, having a team from that far come out here. Um, we talk about the fan base, but you, t- but, you know, you talk about. Um, I've talked to you know Bob Custer, the president of, of BSU, kind of looking at it in hindsight, and um, he kind of said, you know, it was it was the best opportunity they had, and I think that they've been so voracious about growing that there was that opportunity. So they had, they jumped on it and it would have been a step up in competition and stuff like that. But man, who knows if that, if that had worked out where they would be now, I mean, you know, we're starting to see these conferences be, you know, across the country, maybe it would have worked, but uh, I kind of keep thinking about it and I don't know if it really would have worked. I think they would have been in the same situation they're in now. Is this PAC 12 snootiness? I mean, they bring up the possibility of SMU and, Like as much as I'm intrigued by having a oil baron, like a sugar daddy, like a, a team with that's that's had the death penalty applied. Like I'm not generally against that idea. It'd be a fun wild card, but it doesn't fit culturally. Whereas Boise State does. Is is the holdup? Do you think mostly sort of Pac-12 snootiness? Yes, I think it's part of it. I I, I really do. And um, you know, we talk about you know, there's oh, is it an AAU school? Is it um the academic profile because you know truth of the matter is Boise State has been a four-year school for only a little bit more than 50 years um you know since since the late 1960s so um there's there's still that um 
I, you know, I, I don't want to say that, that that's a mark on them because the school has steadily really improved as kind of like an academic institution. But I mean, people make fun of it, but they had like a diesel engine, you know, truck driving uh, stuff 20-ish years ago still at Boise State. So it, it's trying to shake that. And um, I think they're doing a good job of it, but there's still – like you said, a little bit of that snootiness and, um, you know, I, I even think about, you know, from Colorado where I went, you know, going into the Pac-12, they're still not – I mean, I, I feel like th- those schools meshed way more with CU, but um, but they're still just kind of like maybe they don't fit. And then so with, with Boise State, I, I really think it is – it boils down to a lot of that stuff, academics or market size. I mean, you know, this place is growing like crazy, but still, you know, relative to a lot of the other ones, it's not very big. Now – the part of me, first of all, I went to school at UW, and there are some idiots that graduated from there. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Complete I, 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 morons. I get that. It's the, the other part, though, is, and I don't, I don't want this to be just aimed at the Pac-12, because I think it, it happens in all the other conferences, but we've watched for, what, 15 or 20 years as the people that run college sports in general and college football specifically have arranged the rearranged the entire sport to wring every last broadcast dollar it can. Yes. And then when it comes time to like, Oh, maybe reconfigure things. Well, I don't know about the academics. It's like the academics have had nothing to do with all of these decisions that you've made about juggling these, these conferences and, and poaching, from from other places, but well, I don't know if we can let them in. It it, it, it makes me mad. It just seems it, so outrageously hypocritical, and, and it's very hypocritical. And, and and you just think about it, and you, to put it any, any other way, it's just dumb because, as we've said, Boise State could could compete at that level. You give them the same access, the same you know you know mo- revenue streams, they're going to still be a really good team. It's not a gimmick. They're not going to all of a sudden show up and you know. <laughs> I hate to say it, be like Colorado and be, and be pretty terrible, but um, they're not going. To, they're not going to do that. And I, and I think if you want to just base it on the fact that they have such a commitment to, academic, to athletics, um, it would make a lot of sense. But you're totally right, Danny. That the there there is a snootiness to it, where all of a sudden no one cares about that stuff, and then only only they care about it when it comes to letting someone else in. Because if you want to talk about broadcast, and you know people still tune into Boise State games. I and I don't know if there's like a Thing where people are saying, oh, we don't want them in because we don't want to see that field. We don't want to lose to them on that field. There is something to that. Like, you know, I think, you know, that's been a hesitance to get power five teams to schedule series against Boise State is they just don't want to come up here and lose. But, um, but yeah, it, it, it's so funny that it boils down to that because we've got, when you talk about broadcast dollars and things like that, there's, there's still a lot of people tune into Boise State games. There is, you know, I won't say that they have a huge fan base, but they have a very broad fan base. You, you'll you'll find Boise State fans in a lot of places where you're not going to find you know Utah State fans or UNLV fans across the country. So I feel like there's there's like three different tiers of good Boise State teams we've learned over the years, and tier one is undefeated Chris Peterson beating Oklahoma, winning a couple New Year's Six games. Tier two is you're right there, but a missed field goal and Colin Kaepernick, you know, go off and, right. and, and ruin your season. And then tier three, I think is kind of where Boise fell last year, maybe where they were hovering around a little bit under Brian Harson, which is mm-hmm. nobody will be surprised if this team wins 10 games, but put them on a neutral field with a decent power five team. And they don't really measure up. I mean, they weren't really competitive against Oregon state last year, went on to, to play for a mountain West championship. Um, we're a pretty good team, got a young, fun, athletic quarterback and a really good running game. I'm curious, like if, if we cut it into those three buckets, where do you see this team this year lining up and, and how do people feel about Boise state going into 2023? Sure. And, and, and I think if I, if I'm going to be honest, I think they probably would fall into that third bucket. Um, just because of, I, I, you know, you can chalk it up to so many different things. And uh, to me, I, to me, you're, you're really kind of starting to see, the effects of the divide of your group of five and power fives at Boise state, they've been able to maintain this success at a crazy level, despite, you know, the inherent challenges. But I think you're starting to see it kind of trickle down a little bit where recruiting has been a little more difficult. Um, 
they have done a very, very good job. I've been super impressed by the fact that Transfer Portal has not really killed them. They haven't had guys leave um, to go on to, you know, quote-unquote, bigger places. So that's been very helpful. Being able to maintain a consistency with the players and stuff like that has been huge. But I think, again, I think this this team should be somewhat akin to last year. It may be a little better, but definitely not quite um, at that level, I think, where you have – I mean, you know, you mentioned those those undefeated years or even, you know, any time Kellen Moore played – you know, maybe it's more akin to, um, you know, 2014 where they made a Fiesta Bowl, but it wasn't their best team, and they won. They beat Arizona, uh, but they lost a couple games that year. But they had a, you know, they had a JHI sort of guy that 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 time. And is that mm-hmm. on the roster now? I'm not so sure, but I, I think they have a lot of talent, and there's no reason to think that they shouldn't approach 10 wins yet again. But when the standard sometimes here is, as you said, perfection or being that close away from maybe playing in a national championship game, 10 wins doesn't always sound totally appealing, which is so crazy to say, but um, that may be where we're at this season again with Boise State. I think they absolutely should contend for Mountain West Championship, but I'm not 100% sure that they're going to be um, the far and away group of five favorite. But you know, we know how this thing goes, that for, as long as they win the conference, you know things can shake out and, and, and work out in their favor to make one of those games. So I think they'll contend for that, but... Um, I have a tough time seeing that this be, being like a really kind of magical season, but I still think it should be a really good team. Dave, switching to your alma mater, how do you feel about Coach Prime? So it's funny. I, I've liked it. I've liked it. Um, I think people who think that you know Colorado's quote unquote overhyped are missing the point. Um, I think anyone who thinks that anyone is saying that they're going to win like ten games is absolutely crazy. Um, I think they're going to be a lot better, which is all I can ask for. You know, even if they win four or five games, that's a market improvement over last year, which was just I I almost was sick watching that team. It was so bad, but um, but I I like what he's done. Um, you know, not everything's been perfect. I I'm not going to say that. Um, kind of the way that he's done and you know, just really cutting loose a lot of guys. I think they needed to do that, but it's been even more than I anticipated. Um, he's rubbing people the wrong way and sort of, sort of that aspect. But I think that being able to bring in talent and trying to utilize the portal because CU was a team that got raided by it. They lost all their best talent. Brendan Rice, Christian Gonzalez, um, Mark Perry went to TCU. Um, they, they lost a lot of good players. Makai Blackman went to USC and he was a third rounder by the Vikings, I think. So they lost a lot of talent through the portal and couldn't replace it because I think they had some kind of archaic rules. Again, you want to talk about snootiness. They had some really strict transfer rules, and now they've made them much more similar to the rest of the Pac-12, and you're seeing them actually get guys in. Um, so I, th- I think what, what behind the scenes, being able to build a roster, I think that he's done a good job. It's not perfect. I, I I've was a little bit part of that group that thought, oh, we're just going to rake in all the five stars. They've had a couple come in, of course, um, but nothing quite like I thought. Um, and you're starting to see that 2024 class. It's been a little slow, but I think a lot of people are in – prove it mode and I, I'm there too and I think that's great I want to see what he's going to do as a coach because I'm not sure he's a great X's and O's coach you know I, I doubt that to be honest I think he's more of your CEO type but I love the hires the Sean Lewis is the OC I loved Sean uh, when he was at Kent State as the head coach and he went from head coach to an OC um, I thought he was fantastic and then um, getting Charles Kelly over from Alabama to be the DC I think Dion made some really good hires in terms of his coaching staff so that is some optimism that I think might show up on the field. And I, so I've liked it so far. I think it's, frankly, if people talk about it being an experiment, it kind of really is. But, um, but I, I've, I've, so far, um, you know, I feel good about where, where CU's headed. Now, is this something that's going to be sustainable? I have no idea, and I probably doubt it. But I do think whenever he goes, whenever that might be, um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to put CU in a better place because they were – in terms of where they were with the portal and talent level at, at a pretty horrible spot, especially in this day and age. You, you touched on it there, but I mean, kind of the, the big knock from people who want to knock Dion is, Oh, like he's, he's not going to be at Colorado long-term. Mm-hmm. He's going to do what he does there. And if it goes well, he'll be, he'll be gone after two seasons. Do you care? I mean, would, wouldn't that be like a pretty positive outcome relative to the way it was? If he leaves after two years, it's probably because he's one. You know what I mean? So yeah, I agree yeah. with you that it wouldn't be the worst thing. And, and who knows? You know, I mean, if he moves on, 
and they want to have some sort of continuity, make Sean Lewis the head coach. I don't know. Um, or grab someone like Ryan Walters, who's a CU grad, who was kind of the runner-up in this whole thing who went to Purdue. Who knows? Um, but I, I, th- I think what they would be doing is leaving them in a better spot. Um, and yeah, whenever he leaves, there might be an exodus of, of players that leave with him. But wh- whoever stays is, is going to be better than who was coming back, I think, this year. So um, so I, I'm not too worried about it because also, you know, I think they're at a spot. I and mean, we saw with like Mel Tucker, if anybody has any success, they might bolt anyway. So it's, I don't think it's just going to be Dion. It's, it's going to be probably most guys that they would have hired from the outside. All right. Here's the biggest question I have about Dion in the Pac-12. Which coach is he fighting with first? There is going, there is going to, they, they, he's gonna, he's gonna squabble with somebody. He's 100%. got a reality show. He's got like, and he rubs he, guys the wrong way. He already went after Pat Narduzzi from Pitt. Mm-hmm. So yep. who, man, I'm trying to think of of a coach in in the Pac-12 who would be most like that. Chip Kelly, maybe. That's kind of what I was going. Yeah. Although I can't tell Don't, if he won't Chip's be gone still long. awake. He'll be around long. <laughs> he, he also it it kind of seems like he doesn't care that much anymore. He, 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 like, you might you might be right. That, that's not that, that's yeah. If, if we're like, talking vintage, dude, Chip, I got fired twice in the NFL. I'm yeah. rich. I'm living in Southern California. We're going to the Big Ten. Yeah, exactly. You're right. But a vintage Chip, probably. But yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of because like Kyle Whittingham doesn't seem the sort. You know, no. Jonathan Smith definitely not. Um, not even Kalen. Uh, you know, and it's. Dickert, no, you know it's it's I, I yeah, I, I'd be very interested to see. Maybe, who knows? Maybe Kenny Dillingham over at over at over at Arizona State. You know what I mean? Arizona, he decides to get froggy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't he's, know it, enough about Lanning. Lanning seems like he's got a little bit of confidence. Like sure, he, he, he fired up a stogie after after the recruiting yeah. thing last year. Right. Um, <laughs> I don't right. know. I'd be yeah, interested. Yeah, and he's kind of a younger. Yeah, he's kind of a younger guy, and and so so that 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 might be a good one too. That might be a good one too, and you know, I know, like, you know, uh, you talk about the personalities because, like, Jed Fish, like, he's been trying to build Arizona kind of similarly to CU, not to that extreme. So, you know, they they, they might butt heads too because because they're trying to have the same approach. Um, I have an equally important question. It's the University of Colorado. Why is it known colloquially as CU? You do, you don't want to associate with the uh, California schools or get mixed up with the California schools. That's what that's okay. always the explanation that- I've heard. So, like, you know, it's UC Berkeley, UCLA, and stuff like that. So, that makes sense. Yeah. W- which is funny, though, because if you see, like, a lot of our academic stuff, like, in, if you have, like, like a, um, uh, you know, like a course catalog or something like that, it does usually call it UC Boulder in it or UCB. So, it's kind of funny. But, but yes, like, when you present to the public, it's CU. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, DraftKings has Washington as a 14-and-a-half-point favorite in the opener against Boise State right now. If, if Boise is going to pull off a, a couple touchdown upset, how do they do it? How, how is this team built, and, and how, how do they come to Seattle and, mm-hmm. and stay competitive and, and maybe win that game on September 2nd? I think they're going to be able to run the ball against anybody because um, you alluded to it a little bit, Christian, but um, you know, Taylor Green showed last year he's a damn good runner. And... They have George Holani coming back, who's a thousand yard back, and he's probably not their best running back. Their best running back, I think, is Ashton Genty, who was a true freshman last year, um, really came onto the scene. And I love the guy. I love watching him play. He's got just otherworldly kind of balance. He's not the biggest guy, but he's hard to take down, and it's usually that second guy who's going to get him um, or third. But um, so I think they'll be able to run. But um, I think the big question for Talon is if he can. Th- you know, improve as a passer. I think he was fine last year, but I really think that they leaned into that run game hard to try to, um, you know, just get things going last year after, after, you know, Hank Bachmeyer left after they fired their OC. But I think, I I think if they're going to win, he's going to have to hit some deep balls, which I know is a big focus this, this off season with, you know, friend of friend of UW, uh, Bush Hamden is the new OC. Bush has been working working a lot on that deep ball um, offense which could be a very good thing, especially if they're able to run, get people coming up on them a little bit. If you can hit them deep, that'll be huge. But um, we know Taylor Green has an arm. We just need to see it in action, really. Um, I don't think we've totally seen what he can do. Um, but, for, but for me, is I, I, I was looking right before we were talking, 
And last year, I, I felt maybe Boise State's pass defense wasn't as good as it has been. They were number eight in the country in pass efficiency defense, which surprised me. But they do lose J.L. Skinner. They lose Caleb Biggers, one of their corners. I'd be concerned about their defensive backs this year. And, and I know against Washington, that's not a good thing. But, um, but, but I think if, if Boise State can, um, can kind of solidify that and figure out how to lose that talent but still be good on pass defense, because I don't know if they're pass rush. It just, just to me, I don't see it being great. Um, that they obviously, if, if they can shore that up and, and, and at least find a way to frustrate Penix and, um, you know, keep those receivers at bay, they'll, they'll have a chance, but, but that, that's the biggest thing defensively. I, th- I, th- I think Spencer Danielson, the DC, um, is one of the top young minds in college football right now. He'll have something figured out, but that line sure looks right to me. Just especially like, I, I, I don't see their past defense being any better this year, um, that's that's a big big tall order against Washington. So I I think that you know of course if, if they can figure something out there you know get a little bit of a pass rush that'll be huge. And then like I said offensively just you know hit a deep ball or two. You know I I think their receiver crew is interesting, um, but it's a little unproven. Um, so I, I I think that that'll that'll be a, that'll be a big thing too is just kind of figuring that that pass game out because I think they're going to be able to run very well against a lot of teams. I'll throw this out because I'm, for obvious reasons, curious about. I mean, all all three of us sitting here have been laid off from a media job, mm-hmm. and, I, and I feel like if you're in this business for any amount of time, like it's going to get you. And, and not just this business. I mean, you're seeing it everywhere. I saw it, you know, growing up with my dad multiple times, and it's just it's it's part of employment life. And I'm all I'm I'm always really curious in life after layoff. And the directions yep. that people go, and some people are very fortunate, and there's you know an opening doing exactly what they do at another media institution. They get to stick with it. Some people switch it up a little bit. I went out independent, and that's a route more people are going. Um, what what are you doing now? Because you just kind of explain your your full time day job, and and it, sure. it seems like you're enjoying it a lot. Yeah, no, it's been awesome. Um, so it's so yeah, it's it's funny. So as you mentioned, it was during the pandemic, and um. I felt really lucky because I had worked for two newspapers here in Idaho at the, at the Idaho Press Tribune in, in Nampa and then the Idaho Statesman. Um, I was at those two for 14 years. Um, despite all the cuts and all the things we faced, never, never got laid off. Um, was a year at the athletic and then, then I, then that happened and threw me for a loop for a little bit. Um, but what <laughs> it's amazing when you make connections in life, what can happen is um, one of my, very good friends who actually has been on my softball team for more than a decade. He used to work on the sports desk at the Statesman. Um, him and a former sports information director at Boise State both worked in communications at St. Luke's. So they had an opening and um, they sent the job listing to me. And I thought it sounded great. It was basically creating content for them, writing stories. You know, they have a blog page, so you write stories. And um, we have an internal website. We have 15,000 employees. We have an internal website where you post news and stuff like that. And I thought, well, that's similar to what I do. And, um, so the job, you know, I was able to get it and started there the last day of August, 2020 and been there ever since. And I've loved it. It's, um, the schedule's a lot better (laughs) than, than, than in sports. I don't have to travel and, you know, you don't have to, um, work, uh, at games till three or four in the morning or anything like that. Um, or worry about deadlines. So that's been great. And, you know, my daughter was born, uh, in November of 21, and so being able to be home and be around her a lot more has been, it's, it's been a blessing. It really has. But um, I miss sports a lot. So I've been able to still dip my toe in, in, the, in the freelance thing, which has been great. Um, but being able to kind of be, I guess, a little bit of a fan has been um, an interesting experience, really. You know, sometimes people ask me questions about, oh, why isn't this guy playing or whatever? And I'm like, God, I wish I knew, but I don't. You know? So, <laughs> but, 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 but other than that, you know, I, it's, I, I think it's been for the positive and, um, but I've still loved, you know, being able to, um, you know, still be here in Boise and be around the community and be around Boise state. And a lot of the folks over there, I still know, and, um, are, are awesome. And it's, it, it's, it's been pretty cool. And, you know, again, they, they win a lot here and that's, and I, and I think that that's been, that, that that's kind of cool just to be able to, you know, have that team that's going <laughs> to crank out nine wins a year, at least. It's, it's interesting. I mean, sports writing as an industry and even I would say sports media now 
is is feeling some of the same contraction um it's it's eroding as an industry and that's not unique i mean there it happens in other professions like blacksmiths aren't what they used to be before (laughs) (laughs) before cars there is also something that is for me pretty personally sad about it and i was i've even realized um kind of over the past couple months as i've been thinking and writing about it the job that i got into sports journalism for doesn't really exist anymore like it's changed in so many ways um and in some ways some of the independent news ventures like christians are are more reminiscent of of what it what it was but there is like i was thinking about it, it was like i used to i used to deliver the herald news in klamath falls oregon which is a small little logging town on sunday mornings i would get home and i would watch the sports reporters which was hosted by dick schapp and yeah. showing some of my age yeah. there because i'm 48 years old and i was like that show bears no resemblance as to what is being televised now in the shouting at each other like it just the the entire industry does not does not resemble what it did 20 years ago yeah oh 100 you know i started my i technically i, I would probably say i started my career i worked part-time at the boulder daily camera in 2003 so it's been 20 years and it's just amazing to see where it's gone you know there were agate clerks and um you know people doing page design and stuff like that mm-hmm. they outsource all that or automate a lot of that um it's pretty it's pretty wild to, to that not exist i remember you know even when i started the press tribune in nampa we didn't put our stuff online we, like we had one person whose job it was they basically came to us and were like what what are your top three sports stories and we told them and they would do it we're like we didn't even have to do it ourselves and so um how much that has changed it's it, you're right it's it's you know, there's you can sit here and think about you know, before Lauren for days past, and um, I yeah. think there is th- th- there's there is some of that because there was felt like more opportunity. Um, but I do think that with you know with social media, you know, you go to teams have information now, specific players have information. There's all that, but there still is a need um, for people to kind of get you know other I, I, you know that that's sanitized. So uh, you know to get information in, in other ways there there's still always going to be that and you know people like you know like like what christian's doing what tyson's doing um in oregon and stuff like that i think it's great and um i i, I love it and um i i really hope that you know that it continues that way at least at least you know for for guys to be able to still be able to do this and find unique avenues and be if, like like you know christian you be your own boss you know i mean i think that's that's kind of, that that's really cool i know a lot we've got you know certain places especially at athletic i I had some leeway in terms of what I did, but it wasn't, I couldn't go whole hog and just do whatever, which, which part of you wishes you could. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I'm, I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad it's worked out for you. And, and I'm also glad that, you know, you're, you're in position to at least still be around Boise state athletics and maybe dig in a a little bit more, even into your, into your fan side when it comes to the buffs and yeah, exactly. uh, Glad you were able to join us today and, and give us a little bit of intel. I know uh, it's only July 5th as we record this, but uh, that, that opener gets gets closer by the day. People are excited for it, especially once the media deal that maybe sort of might possibly happen come, someday gets, come gets out by who knows. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the stupidest. Like, we talk about stupid stories. That's That's way up there in terms of just sitting on this thing. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us, man. Enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, we appreciate your time. Thanks so much, guys. I, I appreciate it. It's been awesome. What's What's your take on that Boise State game? Because his his response was kind of what I expected. I think they got two like really good running backs and a, a really good running quarterback, and I, that that seems like the the primary threat to Washington. Just kind of looking at things as as it stands in early July here. I think the teams that Washington is going to worry about like that are going to give Washington problems are going to be teams that can put a a bunch of points on the board. I just don't see Washington. If you're going to try to grind it out against them, I don't see that being a way to beat this team with this offense and that quarterback. I mean, that's, that's my, that's my reaction. Um, We'll see. Like maybe they will be able to control the clock and Washington's defense won't have any more speed at middle linebacker than they've had the past couple of years. But I actually, I think you're going to need to score 40 to beat this Washington team. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, they they averaged you know right at 40, just shy of 40 last year, 
and there's really no reason, I mean, other than, you know, maybe you don't believe that the offensive line can sustain what they did last year, especially in pass protection. But other than that, no reason to believe they're, they're going to be worse. Um, the passing game has what it needs to be better, I think. You've got all your receivers back. You basically swap out Taj Davis for, for Jeremy Bernard. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think you're going to need to be able to throw to beat this Huskies team. I will say, listening to Dave describe kind of their their offensive weapons and, you know, George Halani and, um, you know, ha- having a thousand-yard back with another guy who's like maybe a little bit more explosive and, and could actually be the better player. So it'd be a, this team would be a great candidate to beat the 2021 Huskies, like 27 to 19 or something. I've got my purple colored glasses on. <laughs> I'm just, there's no other way to say it. Like I'm, I, I, I think this sets up, they've been, that team has geared up for this moment of bringing back this amount of talent and that offense and all of the guys that have had, could have had pro their pro careers start sooner rather than later that have decided to come back. I really do see this just being, I, I see this being a game where they come out and sort of announce their presence with authority, Nuclelouche style. We'd love it if you join the 180 folks who have rated the podcast on Apple Podcasts or the 134 folks who have rated us on Spotify. Still holding strong with a five-star rating on both. Click the little star. Leave us a review if you're so inclined. Subscribe to OnMontLake.com. Subscribe to the dang apostrophe. The dang apostrophe. I've been taken to referring to the readers as apostrophes. Ooh, that's good. I like that. The apostrophes. You got to have some, uh, you got to have like little badges made up. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you enjoyed the show. We'll talk to you next week. How the f*** do I get to Longview? I don't know. I'm not even Longview. Okay, how hey, if I spent $2,000 for a flight, round trip from Longview to Medford, Medford, back to Longview, what the f***? Get my daughter on a flight back to Longview!